Hello, hi, welcome back. This is Yolanda, and this is the Bauhaus Wife podcast. Or I'm Yolanda, I should say. <laughs> uh, this is episode 10, and um, I am so thrilled to be here again. I write about pregnancy, free birth, mothering, attachment, nourishment, spirit, outrageousness, and descent from a radical feminist perspective. And you can read my blog at www.bahousewife.com. And that is B-A-U-H-A-U-S-W-I-F-E.com. And from there, you can also download my free ebook. It's a guide to autonomous physiological home birth. And you can also check out my consulting services from my website as well, which I offer to women and families around the world, including a great little package that I call the Free Birth Freedom Sessions, which includes two 45-minute Skype coaching sessions with me and lots of material that can help you get clarity on exactly what you want and how to go about getting what you want if you're planning a free birth or a home birth with a midwife or doula, or really any sort of birth. And I also occasionally work face-to-face as a consultant here in New Brunswick, Canada, where I live. I'm also a ceramic artist, and you can see and purchase my artwork at www.yolandanorrisclark.com. That's Y-O-L-A-N-D-E-N-O-R-R-I-S-C-L-A-R-K.com. And this podcast is sponsored by a tiny little skincare company called Flora and Fauna Apothecary. We make one almost perfect little product, a skin elixir, which is a very deliberate blend of certified organic and fair trade botanical oils, which have been chosen for their anti-inflammatory and protective, smoothing and therapeutic properties, including red raspberry oil, which has a natural SPF equivalent of 20 to 25, as well as broccoli seed oil, sea buckthorn oil, rice bran oil, macadamia nut oil, vitamin C, and several other key ingredients that come together to make a skin oil that's light, dewy, non-greasy, with a delectable and subtle scent. (laughs) And we've been receiving just a ton of rave reviews lately, actually, from so many of the women who now love it, including one customer, and um, she actually recently wrote in to me to rave and get excited about flora and fauna and i just wanted to read that to you because i'm so thrilled and uh this customer writes i've been using flora and fauna's facial elixir for almost a year now i'm a physician of natural medicine so i refuse to use anything with chemicals on my skin or in my household that could potentially cause harm Flora and Fauna's mix of essential oils is my most favored and beloved skincare product that is brilliantly priced and that I enjoy using daily. As a student, I used to get samples of Clarins Blue Orchid Oil at all the department stores, and Flora and Fauna's natural skin elixir far outperforms that product, which was more than my budget would allow back then. The benefits of Flora and Fauna's blend are that I have phenomenal, supple skin with few lines or wrinkles at the tender age of 53. You will no doubt love Flora and Fauna's skin elixir just as much as I do. While traveling the world, I bring many months' supply with me at a time. I wouldn't leave home without it. Now, that lovely review is from Alison McQuinn, and um, Dr. McQuinn is an amazing practitioner of Heilkunst medicine, and actually... If anyone is suffering from any health issues, and I really do mean any health issues, I highly recommend Allison's services. Uh, and you can find her online at www.arcanumholistic.ca. That's A-R-C-A-N-U-M-W-H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C dot C-A. And I should say that I'm actually a reformed skeptic when it comes to Heilkunst medicine, uh, which is a branch of, of homeopathy. 
when I first heard about this modality, uh, I was I basically thought that it just sounded like the fluffiest thing in the world. Um, but it was recommended to me, and actually Allison in particular, um, as a practitioner, was recommended to me by a number of people. Um, and I've received lots of help and wisdom from Allison and also from another Holocaust practitioner. And when my husband became ill, we tried everything. And honestly, Heilkunst was one of the only forms of treatment that made any difference. And the difference was actually dramatic. So while I still don't totally understand how or why Heilkunst works, to be quite honest, I am a huge proponent of it nonetheless. And Allison is also a writer, and she's published several wonderful books about Heilkunst and about her healing philosophy and her own personal journeys. And she works with her husband, Jeff, and she also does consultations remotely. So please check out her website. And uh, you can also follow her wonderful feed on Instagram, which is at Arcanum Holistic. And I'll link to all of this in my show notes as well, which will be up on the Bahouswife website shortly. Now, speaking of Instagram, I have three Instagram feeds that you are more than welcome to follow. So I'm at Bahuswife, I'm at Yo Clark, and I'm also at Flora Fauna Apothecary. And if you'd like to try Flora and Fauna's skin elixir, you can order it online at www.florafauna.ca. F-L-O-R-A-F-A-U-N-A dot C-A. Now, <laughs> to the meat of it. I started preparing this podcast when Xanthi was just a few days old. I wanted to share my experience birthing her so much, but it also felt huge and somehow kind of impossible to really tackle or to parse at that time. So I came back to it when Xanthi was three weeks old. But at that point, we had started to run into some nursing issues, which I promise to talk about in a later podcast and or later blog posts. And that really meant that sort of everything in our life started to tilt and to slide and to shift so dramatically in so many ways that in order to survive, I had to let go of a lot that I once thought was essential. And that process of letting go has extended and kind of taken over my life a little bit for the past several months. So now that 2017 is well underway, I feel like my situation has settled somewhat. As I record this episode, the new year is in full swing. New Brunswick is immersed in winter, cold, white, remote, austere, with the odd day here and there that is bright and clear and blue-skied. And on those days, of course, it seems improbable that the temperatures are so low, but generally they are. Although we've also had a fairly mild winter, or rather we have in specific here in Queenstown. It's been actually pretty, pretty decent, so we're lucky in that sense. Touch wood, it's not over yet. (laughs) So my life now is actually very, very different from the way it was a year or even six months ago. And in a way, I'm trying to rebuild and to figure out who I am and where I fit into the new form that my life has taken. And I will be talking more about that in specific. I know that sounds a little bit vague, um, but um, yeah, a lot has happened, really. A lot has happened in the past little while. And of course, Xanthi is seven months old. 
And uh, I'll go into some of those recent changes, like I just said, in the choices um, that I've made. Some of those choices might be surprising to some and possibly even disappointing, but that's okay. And uh, for now, though, I really just want to look back on Xanthi's birth and to talk about that and quite honestly to bask in it with you because her birth and her presence in my life and in our family's life is so precious and so wonderful and we all feel just incredibly grateful to have her with us. Xanthi really does have the biggest smile ever and she shares it with everyone. She really does exude joy and uh, all my babies have actually been very happy babies but happy in keeping though with their particular personalities. So Horace was overtly cheerful around me and Lee but he was cautious and quizzical and and was and is sometimes somewhat suspicious I guess around people he doesn't know. Treva was vivacious and curious but also somewhat skeptical about the world and and also quite mischievous as she is now. And Felix has and had even when he was a newborn this sort of aura of beatitude and a melting delightful, considerate sweetness and a sense of just really genuine kindness about him. And Cosmo was hilarious and is still now deeply hilarious and loving and full of hijinks and goofiness. And we also have Xanthi and she's just brimming over with joy. I really can't think of another word other than happy, which sounds so banal, but she really does inhabit that world fully, I think. She's happy to be here. She's happy to be with us. She shares her open-mouthed grin of delight with us and everyone she meets, almost as though she's ready just to eat up the world. <laughs> and if I sound like I'm utterly biased towards my kids, I am. I definitely am. If you know me at all in person, though, even if you follow my Instagram or Facebook feeds, you will know, I hope, that my life is far from perfect. I lose it with my kids like every mother, I feel overwhelmed like everyone, and I, I struggle like everyone. And I, I do get tired of repeating that ad nauseum, but I feel obliged, I guess, on some level, because it seems to be a common predicament as a mother who blogs or writes that people will make assumptions and often people assume that I'm some sort of exception or maybe some sort of organizational genius or ultra motivated or an especially fabulous mother. And the fact is that no matter what stories I tell here on my podcast, no matter what sort of sharing I do on social media or through my website, I definitely don't reveal the totality of my life to the public. And perhaps it's because I do expose with a fair amount of candor certain aspects of my life that I'm actually increasingly private about some of the other parts. And of course, I'm still navigating those waters and probably will be forever. But um, anyway, yeah, it's it's complicated. But you know, what you see here or what you hear about here is, is not the, the full deal. And I think that's true or has to be true for everyone who uh, who shares anything at all right anyway uh a couple of days after xanthi was born i had to ask lee if i was this euphoric after the births of all of our other babies and of course he said yes and i know that that's entirely true but somehow xanthi's presence felt 
just golden and blessed and lucky. And I know this is partly because her conception was fraught with all sorts of issues. And frankly, she was almost not to be. And I see how that relates to where I am today. And, and I really feel that um, every day, actually. Uh, and it's, it's, it's that sort of part of the good and the bad. And I've alluded to the issues that I faced when Xanthi was conceived, but I've really vacillated between telling the whole story or not. And I will talk a lot about it here, mostly because writing and speaking and sharing is how I tend to process certain events in my life. And because creating a full narrative around my births is really important to me. Um, It's important to me in terms of kind of the project of my life and, and also in terms of my activism and, and just, it's also healing. So, so here goes. (laughs) Now the fall before last, when the baby who is, and I suppose was then Xanthi was conceived, my husband Lee and I had just resolved to wait a good long time before having another child if we were even going to have another child at all. Um, Our family is pretty busy as it is, and Lee and I were both entirely self-employed at the time, and we figured that it would be prudent and rational and, you know, sane (laughs) to uh, keep our family at four kids while we got our life together, or, you know, just forever. And I'm sure you know the deal, or or many of you out there will know the deal. Um, I have lots of wonderful friends and acquaintances who also have large families. And I know many, many women, many, many other mothers who, you know, kind of wrestle with the, with whether or not to expand their families further. Uh, And I think that those issues pertain to a lot of uh, issues and questions just about our world, about stability, about um, the environment and, and all sorts of of things like that. So, so yeah, I think these are common questions and perhaps more significantly for us personally at the time, uh, Lee and I were really not connected. We were not in right relationship. There were some serious tensions in our marriage and because we had decided to postpone or forego another child, we were taking precautions. We were being careful not apparently careful enough. And so when I realized my cycle was late, it didn't really cross my mind, actually, that I would be pregnant. And uh, I know, I'm sure a lot of you are rolling your eyes. We already have quite a few children. But anyway, that's, that's the fact. And, you know, that's how it was. So when my moon still didn't appear several days later, I decided to take a pregnancy test just to you know, allay my concern, because of course my period would be arriving any minute. And there were two blue lines. And I wasn't just shocked that I was pregnant. I was shocked that I was pregnant and that I'd not perceived to be pregnant or not allowed the possibility to even cross my mind. Now, I suppose like the disconnection I felt in my marriage, I also felt quite disconnected from my body. Now, Lee was very upset about this. He was unequivocal about not wanting another baby, and he told me in no uncertain terms that he wanted me to have an abortion. And I have had abortions in the past, and they were horrific, I'll say quite honestly. 
And I'll include a link to an older essay of mine on the experience of having an abortion in the show notes as well. But in any case, I also recognized that this was not the right time to have a baby. I knew that I would never have another abortion in a clinic with doctors and ultrasounds and mandatory this and that. But honestly, the thought of an abortion under any circumstances by any method was really horrific to me. I didn't feel emotionally or spiritually able to make that choice. I also concurrently felt overwhelmed by the idea of another baby. And another factor that made me feel scared and uncertain and upset about the reality of this pregnancy was that I wasn't especially healthy at the time. I hadn't been getting enough sleep. I was stressed. I hadn't been eating well at all. I felt really drained and depleted. Nonetheless, I told Lee that I didn't want an abortion, that I didn't think I could do it. But he insisted and resisted, and we fought. So over several days, the tension became incredibly thick, and I basically crumbled, and I contacted a friend that I have who has connections to the underground home abortion networks that are active throughout North America, and I asked her to send me some misoprostol, and this is a drug that is used to induce abortion in the early weeks of pregnancy. A day or so later, the package arrived, and at that point, I basically felt that in order to save my marriage, I would have to go through with the abortion. And the sense of being pressured into taking action that I didn't want to take was really disgusting to me, and my rage towards Lee built for obvious personal reasons, but also because from a political perspective, as a radical feminist who likes to think that I will never capitulate to anyone, and especially any man who attempts to control my behavior, especially my reproductive choices, the whole situation was really very, very tense. Now, I should say, too, that I am an ardent supporter of a woman's right to bodily autonomy um, in every possible interpretation of that phrase. I believe strongly that not only should abortion be available to any woman who wants one for whatever reason, at whatever stage of pregnancy, but I also insist that full reproductive freedom means the complete decriminalization of self-induced abortion or home abortion, that is, abortion outside of the medical system. Now, there are many misconceptions about the safety of abortion, of self-abortion in particular, and these myths are tied up in the political struggle to secure abortion rights for women, but, and, and, and I mean, you know, in the, in the sort of public system, but essentially in the struggle to legalize abortion, we seem to have forgotten that, A, women have been giving themselves and each other abortions since the beginning of humanity, and that, B, abortion methods can be safely taught to anyone, and C, the women who have been harmed by unsafe abortion procedures were often subjected to these procedures by trained doctors, many of whom were men. So I have a lot to say, um, obviously, on the topic of abortion, and I'll, I'll be doing a podcast on that at a later date. And of course, it's a very difficult subject, and I have many friends who are avid abortion rights advocates, and I probably have an equal number of friends who have deeply held religious convictions that preclude abortion and for whom the topic is equally politically charged in the other direction. So I do appreciate and understand and respect that many people have very deep personal and spiritual convictions on the topic of abortion. And, and I do too, actually. And while I don't think my personal and spiritual feelings on the subject are exactly in complete conflict with, with my political perspective, they are different, actually, and contrasting. So 
it's, uh, it's complicated. Now, the fact that I considered abortion seriously enough that I actually sent away from my soprostol and Lee was... So the fact is that I did consider abortion seriously enough that I actually sent away for my soprostol and Lee was very much in support of that decision. So I received the package in the mail and it contained two little pills and we put the kids to bed and I went downstairs and I poured myself a glass of water and I held the two little pills in my hand and I started to cry and I put the pills down and I went and sat on my sofa and I proceeded to cry and cry and cry and cry and cry. And looking back, I basically was having a a complete emotional breakdown. And I remember repeating, I'm sorry, baby. I'm sorry, baby. I'm sorry. And sobbing myself to sleep. Now, I want to say what should be obvious, which is that women have very different responses to complicated pregnancies and that the whole range of responses are valid. Many women do not feel emotionally connected to an early pregnancy as I apparently did, but I did, and I loved this baby, and I could not make the choice to stop the life that was growing inside of my body that was already at that point dependent on me, or was from the beginning, of course, dependent on me. And I cried myself to sleep. And in the dream I had that night, I was back in Vancouver. And I was walking along 10th Avenue, the commercial center of the neighborhood where my childhood home, my mother's home still now, in Point Grey. And I walked into a discreet storefront. And I found myself in a spare but elegant white marble foyer. The white marble elevator took me up to a room, and the person behind a desk told me that the doctor would see me, and they gestured for me to walk through another doorway. Inside that door, an elderly Asian man greeted me (laughs) and told me in what sounded to me like a Chinese accent that my baby was very healthy and was eagerly awaiting their arrival in the world. The doctor then informed me that my baby's dendritic spines were very well articulated. Finally, the doctor told me that my child would be called Fidel. And then I woke up with the dream imprinted in my memory as though it had actually taken place. And with all my sadness and anxiety and my fear for the future alleviated. I also had no idea what dendritic spines meant. So, of course, I immediately googled the term and I discovered that, and this is courtesy of Wikipedia, a dendritic spine is a small membranous protrusion from a neuron's dendrite that typically receives input from a single axon in the synapse. Dendritic spines serve as a storage site for synaptic strength and help transmit electrical signals to the neuron cell body. Dendritic spines are known to change shape to the extent of appearing and disappearing entirely. It has long been hypothesized that such changes may be the basis of memory itself. And that again is according to Wikipedia. Now, I'm a conflicted agnostic and... I will admit to verging on the side of the mystical, occasionally God-fearing, easily swayed by suggestions of divinity, and this dream certainly had a divine sheen to it. 
It felt like a visitation, and I felt soothed and loved by it, and as though I'd been given an immense gift, the gift of this pregnancy, of this baby, but also the gift of receiving permission somehow to embrace it. And so that morning, I simply told Lee that there would be no abortion, and that was that. And Lee was not happy. (laughs) And what followed from that point was a period of attrition during which Lee and I barely spoke to each other. And this went on for several weeks, a couple of months even. And to be quite honest, I thought that our relationship was doomed. And of course, while this unexpected pregnancy was not the source of our issues, it was an event that brought those issues to the fore, a catalyst of sorts that caused several festering problems to surface. Now I'm going to take a little break and talk about a couple of events coming up that are incredibly dear to my heart. So the first is the Indie Birth Midwifery Conference. Now, this is, in my opinion, one of the most essential in-person events for midwives, birth workers, and birth enthusiasts that will be taking place in 2017. It's hosted by the inimitable Marin Green, the head, the leader of Indie Birth, Um, and it brings together some of the preeminent thinkers and speakers on the topics of wild birth, free birth, independent birth, making a business out of supporting women in birth in North America. And I am beyond thrilled to also be featured as one of the speakers at the Indie Birth Conference. Now, I'll be there to talk about how to create from scratch a grassroots wild birth community where you live. And what I really want to emphasize is that such a thing is possible no matter how you live, no matter where you live. That's actually what I meant to say, no matter where you live, but no matter how you live too. And no matter how entrenched you might think the allopathic approach is where you are. Because the truth is, in every community, women are hungry for alternatives to the allopathic model and alternatives to the regulated model. So I'm going to be in Arizona on the weekend of the 24th of March, coming right up, uh, to share very specific strategies that I've found that will almost guarantee engagement and energy and enthusiasm and interest on the part of the women in your community and to talk about ways that will help to create a circle of women who are interested and engaged in learning about how powerful and magical and incredible birth really is and that really creating these sorts of communities from the ground up is one of the keys I think to changing the culture of birth wherever you happen to live so please come to Arizona with me I would love to meet you I am so thrilled to be traveling there. I'm actually going to be there with Xanthi. And if you can't be there in person, the event is actually going to be live streamed as well. So I think all that information is available on the Indie Birth website. So that's www.indiebirthconference.com. I would love to meet you and say hello in Sedona, Arizona. So yeah, cannot wait for that. The second amazing event that I want to talk about is the fourth annual Women's Summit here in Atlantic Canada. Now, the Women's Summit is an opportunity for women to come together to share our knowledge from the past and present and to bring together a new vision for the future. 
A future that embraces a sharing of our collective capacity for joy, healing, birthing, mothering, aging, and living holistically in community with one another. The program this year is going to feature more than 15 workshops taught by wise women teachers, community leaders, healers, birth workers, and fellow seekers. The summit is the place to be this summer for learning new skills, exploring different ways of seeing and being the world, and for acquiring new tools for thinking critically about our society in order to transform the planet for ourselves, our children, and future generations. And I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be a speaker at the Women's Summit again this year. And this year, unlike the previous three years, the event is going to be held in Glen Margaret, Nova Scotia. And that's pretty close to Halifax. And uh, it's going to be incredible, as it always is. So please check that event out. And that's at www.womensummit.org. And that's W M Y N S S U M M I T.org back to the show. Now, in retrospect, I think that our family could easily have imploded if not for, (laughs) wait for it, for CrossFit. Yes, that's right. You heard correctly, CrossFit. It sounds very strange. So let me explain. Like so many people I have in the past, turned to various vices when my life is falling apart. And what I mean by that is every single vice under the sun was at one point mine. (laughs) But I like to think that I'm a grown-up now, and I have several kids who are dependent on me, and of course, I was pregnant when this particular breakdown was occurring. So all of those vices were off the table, thank goodness. And I know myself well enough, though, to know that I needed some sort of habit to funnel all of my energy and my anxiety and, frankly, my anger into. So the day after I had my dream and decided to accept and love my pregnancy and to love and adore this baby, I called the CrossFit gym that was closest to me. Now, I was driving a lot during that period for birth work anyway. I was doing a lot of birth work at that time. And I adjusted my schedule to be able to attend the early morning CrossFit workouts at this particular gym. And looking back, I can see really clearly that it is actually thanks to that heavy-duty physical activity that I was able not to lose my mind, that I was able to gather a little tiny bit of patience for myself and for Lee and for our relationship. And I really cannot recommend self-medicating with exercise highly enough. It really is, or, or is in my experience, almost a panacea. And, um, and actually, this is apparently evidenced by a number of studies that have shown that exercise is as effective or more so than certain pharmaceuticals as a treatment for depression. And I genuinely think this is the case. It, it certainly certainly kind of saved me, actually. In some ways, my pregnancy was quite tough. So, you know, all all of the, the things that I've just talked about, Lee and I were working through our stuff, and I was working, just working in my job way too much. And things were kind of off kilter and challenging on a number of levels. But on the other hand, I felt physically and mentally fantastic. I'd given birth... Well, at this point, I I have given birth pretty much every two years 
for the past 10 years. And um, that is certainly very taxing on the body. So especially during and after my pregnancy with Cosmo in particular, I felt absolutely ravaged. I was very out of shape when I was pregnant with Cosmo, but I figured that it was just my age and that this was just the beginning of, you know, the, the, the expected downward spiral. But I can honestly say that within just a couple of weeks of starting CrossFit during my early pregnancy with Xanthi, I started to feel amazing. All of my aches and pains subsided, and then soon after that, they disappeared. So I really cannot emphasize enough how important vigorous daily movement was for me, especially after a difficult previous pregnancy. I also know that many people have concerns about the intensity of CrossFit, even for adults who are not pregnant, and I understand that. So, you know, I think that I'm just generally a pretty intense person, and I'm also very lucky to have a baseline of excellent health and physical integrity. I generally have good genes, and I did a ton of high-intensity, high-impact physical activity as a child, which... I'm really grateful to my mother for facilitating because I think that that has provided me with a really excellent foundation of good health. So CrossFit worked brilliant for me. I also know a couple of other mothers who have many children, large families who overhauled their bodies with CrossFit during their pregnancies or during later pregnancies, kind of in their, in their later years. So, you know, in their early forties when they were pregnant, I, well, I'm thinking of one mother in particular, actually, and she was pregnant with, I think her eighth baby, or maybe it was her ninth. And I believe she was in her early forties and she started for the first time in her life, a CrossFit, a very intense CrossFit program. And yeah, it, she had a very similar experience, um, that I did. So, so anyway, I was in good company and I had to navigate some, some serious annoyance in the form of a well-meaning yet patronizing trainer at the particular gym I was attending who infantilizingly suggested that perhaps the activity I was engaging in was too strenuous, that I would harm my baby, etc. And this, of course, had the marvelous effect of cementing my resolve. So thanks to that guy. (laughs) And during this time as well, Lee and I really, really worked on our marriage We started to talk and we started to apologize and we started to forgive and things started looking up. And for the record, I don't and I did not condone Lee's behavior towards me in those early first weeks of pregnancy. I don't believe, quite frankly, that men have any right ever to dictate to women what they can or cannot do. And I mentioned this earlier, I know, in this podcast, but I also know that relationships are complicated and the fact is... Men and women are socialized to behave in certain preconditioned ways, and most of us are walking around struggling to breathe, I think, under layers and layers of really quite deep trauma and under immense stress. And, you know, those patterns tend to come to the fore when when stress is heightened. So this is not an excuse. I really don't make excuses for for uh, sexist, chauvinistic behavior, but it is reality, and I also believe in forgiveness. So, so yeah, Lee and I made some really serious um, and kind of amazing progress in our relationship. But even so, I was still quite sure that I would be giving birth on my own, or as I mentioned or alluded to in previous podcasts and, and previous blog posts, I thought I might end up giving birth at the annual New Brunswick Women's Summit, which 
as I mentioned earlier, is an event that I'm thrilled to participate in every year. And that year, the summit was slated to take place in the very late summer, or mid-late summer, when I would be 42 weeks pregnant. And I usually give birth at around 42 weeks, so I kind of figured there would be a strong possibility that my birth would happen at the summit. But when I was about eight months pregnant, I had a new friend of mine who is a photographer, and her name is Chantal Richard Mercier, come to our house and do a pregnancy photo shoot. Now, I'd never actually had any professional photos taken of myself or my family ever before, so I was a little bit nervous about the experience. And unfortunately, the day that Chantal came, Lee and I had an argument, and I was not feeling very positive about him or very happy about the prospect of having what was supposed to be our happy little family documented. (laughs) But when Chantal arrived, she was so low-key and so lovely and so quietly supportive and kind that I thawed out a little bit and we all traipsed out to the field behind our house here in Queenstown. The sun was just setting and Chantal got some really gorgeous photos that I will truly cherish for the rest of my life. And I was really torn about the whole prospect of pregnancy shots. It had always previously seemed to me to be a little bit narcissistic, a little bit unnecessary, a little bit silly, but I'm so glad I did it, even if it is all that. (laughs) The experience also made me very sure that I did, in fact, want Chantal to be present during the birth itself to take some photos. Uh, Oh, and you can see my pregnancy photos on my blog, so I'll link to that photo series and also to Chantal's amazing uh, photography website. She is very talented, very wonderful. And if you live in the New Brunswick um, area, Fredericton area, I highly recommend her. Now, I talked earlier about the fact that I was working a lot during this period, and this involved being present at several births during my own pregnancy. I'd also committed to being present at a birth that I thought would surely happen well before the birth of my own baby. And this particular mother and I had the same 40-week date. So her last baby had been born at 39 weeks. And while all my babies come late, we figured that there would be at least three weeks, probably, between our births, if not more. I started to experience myself very convincing birth sensations when I was about 30 weeks pregnant. And by the time the Women's Summit rolled around at the end of July, I truly thought that I was actually going to give birth at the event. And quite frankly, I was kind of hoping for that scenario. It really would have been wonderful. (laughs) The summit, as I mentioned, is held over three days. And last year it was hosted on the most gorgeous beach in Casey Cape, New Brunswick, near the resort town of Shediac. The summit was started as the passion project of one of my very best friends in the world, Natalie Arsenault, and it was attended by almost all the women that I adore more than anyone else in the world, and I just thought it would have been kind of amazing to have given birth surrounded by those women in a yurt. Anyway, last year I had some trepidation about attending, though, because The woman whose birth I had committed to being present for had not yet had her baby. Nonetheless, I decided to risk it, knowing that I would leave immediately if I had to, and I made sure my birth bags were packed and ready to go in my car, and and so we set off. The weather at the summit was gorgeous. There were two spacious yurts on site, 
And I basically spent the entire event rocking and moaning and swimming in the ocean and anticipating that my own waters would release at any moment. Now, I brought Treva, our daughter, with me, and I guess she was five, five years old at the time, because Treva was my official birth attendant, and we were both anxious about not being separated for any length of time in case my baby did arrive, because I really needed Treva to be with me, and she she really wanted to be there as well. And Treva had an incredible time at the summit. On one of the evenings, I was sitting in the yurt with my beloved women friends. I had Kate massaging my back and Courtney giving me the most amazing foot rub. And Virginia was sitting with me and we were all talking about birth as women do. And I was laughing about how I was pretty sure that this was finally going to be my solo birth. I didn't want anyone else around. I just was going to have Treva and Chantal, and probably I would ask Lee not to be there. And then, of course, you know, after this brief conversation, I went back to breathing through what were quite legitimately very intense sensations and thinking that maybe, maybe my baby would come that night. And at the summit as well last year, uh, Marin Green um, was present and she was our keynote speaker and she was absolutely incredible. And so it's even more special to me that I got to meet Marin right before Xanthi's birth. And now Xanthi and I will be going to Sedona, Arizona uh, to hang out with Marin, who will be welcoming her, I think her eighth baby into the world very soon after the Indie Birth Conference. So it's uh it's pretty pretty wonderful to be able to maintain these connections like that anyway by the end of the summit there was no baby however as i was packing up my stuff and treva's stuff i started to feel some especially intense sensations and i was worried that i wouldn't make it home and that i would have to give birth on the side of the highway <laughs> And that, of course, also did not come to pass, although in the two-week period after the summit and before Xanthi's birth, I actually ended up calling Chantal, our photographer, on several occasions, telling her that I thought this was it. And to my eternal chagrin, I actually hauled Chantal out of her house off out here to the boonies, which is a 45-minute drive for her, one evening at around midnight, only to have to send her back home again because it finally became clear that Xanthi wasn't actually going to be arriving that night after all. And throughout all of this, Chantal was endlessly gracious with me, and I really felt like a serious nuisance and a drama queen. And uh, Chantal never allowed um, her agreement with that sentiment to be apparent. (laughs) And finally, one morning... I received the call that the mother that I was working with was beginning her birth process. So by that point, my CrossFit glow had faded a little bit. And at a couple of days past 43 weeks pregnant, I felt like I'd already entered the veil of my own birth space weeks before that. So the aches and discomfort had started to creep back. I was having all these very intense sensations all the time. And despite my overall sense of wellness... I was just really feeling, feeling done, you know, feeling kind of exhausted. Uh, somehow, though, miraculously, the moment that I got that call from my client and I arrived at her home, 
my physical discomforts disappeared and I felt calm and focused and totally detached from my own impending birth. And I really see this as a testament to how powerful our attention, our determination, and our resolve can be. Uh, because for me in that circumstance, it was essential. It was almost, you know, a matter of survival even to be able to give all of my consideration to this other woman. And it's really amazing to me thinking back to realize just how totally present I was able to be for that family, if only for a relatively short period of time while they had their wonderful birth. And the birth was incredible. It was just absolutely wonderful. It was so joyous. This mother was just so, just so brave and so beautiful. And I think in part because of my own situation, because of the fact that I was so incredibly pregnant, I don't think I've ever been so happy and so relieved to witness a, you know, beautiful, perfect kind of textbook home birth. And I have also never cleaned and packed up a birth pool so quickly. Uh, it was amazing. <laughs> so I drove home at midnight that night, experiencing, again, very strong sensations. And when I finally fell into bed, I slept very soundly, thankfully, with a real sense, finally, you know, in some ways for the first time during that pregnancy, a real sense of relief and completion. So my commitments had been met, most of my jobs had been done, and I could finally relax. And I was so grateful for the fact that I'd been able to attend this birth without having my own newborn in my arms. Because, um, you know, I've done that a few times now uh, already, and um, yeah, it's not, not my very favorite. But I also felt quite wistful at that point, knowing that I would not have many days left, if any, to enjoy the end of my pregnancy without the weight of any major responsibilities. Nonetheless, I felt satisfied spending the next day tidying and hanging out with the kids and just getting some odds and ends cleaned up. So I readied our bedroom, where I was pretty sure that I would be birthing, and I set out the cedar cord-burning box that I had ready, and the beeswax candles, and our clean towels, and chucks pads, and my wool and cotton cloth moon pads for postpartum bleeding. And the very next morning was beautiful. The sun was hot and searing. The sky was gorgeously clear. It was one of those really brilliant summer days that just seems perfect. My house for once was relatively under control. My kids were around me. And I really felt very, very peaceful. Almost again for the first time during that pregnancy, I felt very still and very much at peace. Now, Lee and I were at this point, thankfully, really feeling in touch with each other and very loving. And we decided to spend some time together as a family down at the river. And uh, we live just kind of, you know, essentially on the banks of the St. John River. And uh, this day happened to be the day before our beloved Felix's fourth birthday. And because they were not able to make it to a gathering the day of Felix's birthday, Lee's parents decided to drive down to visit with us that day and to bring Felix's gift. And I remember joking with Lee and the kids about Felix maybe having to share a birthday with our new, our new baby. Because at that point, I was 43 weeks and three days pregnant. So, you know... I knew that our baby would truly be arriving 
very soon (laughs) because babies come out after all. Now, somehow, despite the length of this pregnancy, I really felt so grateful for the extra days and weeks that I'd been granted. And somehow the impatience that I have historically felt during my very long, long, long gestations has sort of subsided, I think, with each baby. And so at this point, I was quite honestly hoping for even just a little bit more time. And on that note, I'm going to end this podcast. (laughs) So that was part one of Xanthi's free birth story. So please stay tuned for part two, which I promise will be coming up very soon, hopefully in just one week, maybe even a little bit sooner. And that's barring, of course, any major life disasters. Uh, But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. And please feel free to message me at sasamat.clark at gmail.com. That's S-A-S-A-M-A-T dot C-L-A-R-K at gmail.com. And of course, feel free to check out all the other stuff that I'm up to at www.bahousewife.com. B-A-U-H-A-U-S-F. Nope. www.bauhausewife.com and please take good care and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye.